What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. Welcome to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. I'm Paul Sweeney, alongside my co-host, Matt Miller. Every business day, we bring you interviews from CEOs, market pros, and Bloomberg experts, along with essential market-moving news. Find the Bloomberg Markets Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and at Bloomberg.com slash podcast. Let's get into crypto, Matt. Look at the Bitcoin. It's up 4% today. 692. Just under $18,000 per Bitcoin. token. Look at the Bitcoin. Yeah. Look, I mean, all right. Are we, are, let's, I, let, I let, think let's, we have to separate, right? And we'll do that. And we'll do Katie that. Greifeld is right here. Yep. I think Mike McGlone is on the line. From the self-proclaimed crypto capital of Miami, right? Florida. Our Bloomberg Intelligence yep. Commodities Analyst. Um, we do have to separate. Oh, and oh, Nathan Dean. Nathan. Oh, oh, sweet. Now uh, we got the smart. Nathan Dean. We got some smart people on now. We got <laughs> Nathan Dean. Who knows everything that's going on in Washington. I think we have to differentiate what's going on uh, in Congress and uh, with Sam Bankman-Fried from what's happening with the asset, with the Bitcoin, as you say, with the underlying with the asset. Uh, Katie, you've seen incredible stability mm -hmm. and resilience, I think, in Bitcoin since and now the collapse a rally. of FTX. Yeah. Well, Bitcoin is a macro asset. The fact that we are talking about, I don't know, still a seven handle on CPI, but much fuller than what was expected. That's going to be good for Bitcoin because, I mean, Matt, you've been making the point over the past month, these are two separate happenings. What's happening with these centralized exchanges, what's happening with Sam Bankman-Fried and his collapsing empire, that's different from the Bitcoin blockchain, that's different yep. from the Bitcoin token, and I, is there a more stark example than today's price action? Probably not. Mike, yeah. does Mike does this price action have anything to do with the arrest of Sam Bankman-Fried? <laughs> oh, it's, it's such a classic macro, everything short covering day today. Yeah. Um, Bitcoin's up the same as much as the Nasdaq was this morning, there's massive shorts in the Nasdaq, options expiration is this week. There's a huge amount of concentration of open interest right below the price we were yesterday, and they're just flushing the shorts. And that's what you, happens in bear markets. And remember, this is still a really bad inflation number. It's been a significant bear market. So Bitcoin, yeah, it looks like it's bouncing. It's going to see very good resistance around 20,000. People have given up on San Bankman-Fried. The key story today in crypto is how Binance is having massive outflows. And that's just because people want this, the key, the, uh, you know, get their coins off the exchange. But turning over to Bitcoin, crude oil, everything, the one market that's showing the most significant technical indication today is gold. Gold just bounced, jumped above its 50 and 100-week moving wow, averages. I, I fully expect, the only market you can say that about, I fully expect Bitcoin at some point is going to get there, but Bitcoin's still a risk asset. Hey, Nathan, Nathan Dean, you're a senior policy analyst for Bloomberg Intelligence. You're based in Washington, D.C. That's your cross the bear. But tell us about what you expect to hear from your Congress, your regulators in Washington. This is your wheelhouse, my friend. I see, I see Maxine Waters uh, sitting down right yep, now. Exactly. Yep. So, you know, just real quickly, though, you know, just one thing I wanted to call out on Bitcoin, though. Bitcoin does have a safety net to it in terms of what we're going to hear today in terms of FTX and the hearings and so forth, because the courts have deemed it a commodity. And therefore, the legislators are pretty confident that Bitcoin is, is safe from a regulatory perspective. What we're going to hear in the, the hearing today, you know, it, look, the policymakers were going to try and score 
score a lot of political points with Sam Bankman-Fried. Now that he's not going to be here, those political points are going to come down. I don't think we're going to learn much in the way of policy clues of what legislators want to do. But my worst case scenario, worst case being for the cryptocurrency industry, is if you hear policymakers try and reiterate what Representative Brad Sherman likes to say, and I'm paraphrasing here, but essentially let crypto burn. So if you hear some of the progressive lawmakers begin to echo those statements, that's a really bad thing going into 2023 because it could dent a lot of the momentum for providing regulatory clarity going forward. Nathan, I got to ask a question, and I'll first say I'm not like some kind of QAnon, 4chan conspiracy theorist, okay? (laughs) Okay. But uh, the timing to me seems just questionable that Sam Bankman-Fried is arrested hours before he testifies in front of Congress. Are you hearing anyone else ask this question, you know, why now? Why in this moment? Absolutely. I mean, the, the chairwoman, Maxine Waters, even said that this morning. She just said it was really unfortunate that, uh, you know, we weren't going to hear directly from Sam Bankman-Fried. And, you know, there is some a draft of his testimony that is going around. And if that was the actual draft, there was a lot of information that he was going to put out there. You know, so unfortunately, the, from the policymaker standpoint, they're not going to be able to, you know, talk to Sam Bankman-Fried and so forth like that. But you are going to hear about a lot of the bad actions or at least the alleged actions and so forth from John Ray in today's hearing. And, you know, it will be very interesting to see if, you know, policymakers, you know, really group on like custody or customer protection or securities because the Democrats want to do something in response to this. The Republicans want to do something, but that something is completely different. And part of them don't even know what that something is. So, you know, it's just the first stage of a long process that Congress has to get through, and we're going to have to go through this again tomorrow when the Senate Banking Committee has their own hearing on this. Hey, Mike, what is, I guess, this, I guess to me it just feels like a a new phase, and it's a phase in the development of crypto, which is regulatory oversight, uh, regulatory attention. I mean, if that's in fact what we're seeing, what does that mean? What are you hearing from some investors as it relates to crypto? Uh, well, the, the retail are getting hurt because a lot of them are losing money. Unfortunately, people who had um, investments with some of these firms or through some of these firms. But from a regulatory institution standpoint, this is what is clearly needed. And I think Nathan will be able to expand on that. And this, this space is just, you know, that you know, needed to be decentralized. And, you know, it just realized we need some good supervision here because they're bad actors. And we found out some of the bad actors are just going under and taking people's money. So that regulation, I think, is this we're going to look back at is this is part of that paradigm shift that's going to flip over to, okay, you know what this space arena, what solves this from our ETF team, Eric Beltunas and James Seaford, is an ETF. Um, ETF would, you know, you don't have to worry about your counterparty with ETF typically. So to me, that's one thing that will make a difference. It should accelerate that process. And not just an ETF tracking Bitcoin, trapping an index of cryptos like we do most equities and bonds. Right. Katie, what, I, K- Katie Greifeld is not only a cross-asset reporter, She's also, what is your new title I heard yesterday on the radio? Senior financial analyst or something? <laughs> Definitely not a financial ad- but analyst. But she is the co-host of ETF IQ on mm-hmm. Bloomberg and Television. Who's, who's the other co-host? Well, me. Oh, it's okay. Matt Miller. Yeah. Eric okay. Beltunas also is there every single week. Yes. I, I mean, I've spoken to a lot of people with that view that 
a lot of this pain uh, that you're seeing among retail investors right now would have been avoided if uh, the ETF wrapper had been made available from the get-go. But at this moment in time, has a spot Bitcoin ETF ever felt farther away? Yeah. I think it's no. been pushed <laughs> so yeah. far down the priority list. Gensler is definitely taking a uh, victory lap here. So I also want to point out that um, I'll take issue with the statement that regulation is needed just from the total like libertarian OG Bitcoin point of view. If you don't share your private key with anybody else, if you hold your own assets, this is a trustless asset. Mm -hmm. So there's no there's no need for that kind of regulation. Unless you're letting Sam Bankman Fried hold your stuff. Like, dude, hold my stuff, you know? Yep. Don't well, spend it. <laughs> that's what the Bitcoin maximalists are saying. They feel vindicated here. Yeah. If it's all of this Frankenstein industry that was built on top of what's supposed to be, you know, people just holding Bitcoin in their cold wallets but and those, owning their keys. But those people are dinosaurs and cavemen like yes. me. And Nathan, I mean, you, you wrote in a research note, I think, I don't know, yesterday, the day before, that even though firms like Coinbase and, um, you know, Genesis, Binance, et cetera, would face tens of millions of dollars in compliance costs, they would still welcome some kind of regulation. Absolutely. I mean, anytime you have this type of new regulations come out, and this isn't in crypto. I mean, we saw this with Dodd-Frank. What it does is it, it, it allows the big market players, the folks that have the uh, compliance spend, the technology spend to actually gain market share, and it pushes out the mom and pops of the world. And, and, and you know, when you talk about all the legislative solutions that are being thrown out there right now, it really is geared towards institutional. I mean, you go back to the retail argument or the discussion we were just having, if any of the bills that were to come up in 2020 22 passed, it would have helped Coinbase and FTX and Binance and even like BlackRock and Fidelity. It would not have helped the mom and pops, the Web3 startups and so forth, because if any legislation passes in 2023, I think it has to include the provision that securities, 99, I'm sorry, that 99% of the tokens out there are securities and therefore go to the Securities and Exchange Commission. So, you know, that's not what a decentralized community wants. So it's going to be really interesting to see if the crypto industry next Next year starts actually lobbying against some of the solutions that we're going to see come from the lawmakers. Hey, Mike, you're based in Miami here. And again, the, the good folks in Miami have been, it's such a growing marketplace for financial services. And they've been, you know, the city itself has been advocating that, you know, they really want to be a, a center for all things crypto. What, what's the feeling in Miami here as, as we think about what's happened to Sam Bankman-Fried and FTX and, and the whole space over the last several weeks. Wait, do they still have a stadium? <laughs> yeah, so that's no, a, I think they took the I, name off, right? The, the, the name's still on it. Like, there's some kind of legal issue. And I was walking by with my wife the other day. We've got to get a picture. We haven't had a picture in front of it. But the name's still on the stadium. But there was a Web3 conference two weeks ago that I participated in, and Mayor Suarez spoke. And there's still quite the – it was and it was full. Web3. I was surprised. I was at a conference in Vegas in uh, October, and it was empty. It was full, and there's still quite the positive attitude to the bigger picture. Now, I think from a retail standpoint, it's much different. From an institutional standpoint, it's still quite – we're building this. This is part of the pain of a nascent asset technology, and unfortunately, this is just the extreme. But one thing I want to point out is a, a lesson I learned, and I think the SEC is good about this. Is the first day in the Board of Trade by the Water Fund, I saw a note that said, the ultimate seduction of other people's money. And that's what we're <laughs> learning the lessons of now. So, it's no, I mean, trading crypto seems to, my, to the Mike McGlones of the world who've been trading, you know, pork belly futures and corn <laughs> futures. I mean, it's all kind of, there's a lot of lessons that kind of you can learn from. This kind of thing happens in a lot of assets. And look, I'm still shocked that Bitcoin is worth $17,500. I, I remember, you know, 
I remember when uh, Joe Weisenthal said to me, hey, if you liked it at 1,000, you should like it at 250. <laughs> and I was like, I do, dude. And I would back up the truck if it weren't for and you have a truck. my ethical um, concerns. You can't, you know, obviously report on an asset that you own. Now I kind of wish I'd thrown those ethical concerns to the <laughs> right. wind. And, you know, but... But nonetheless, it's obviously it's come down considerably from what was the high like sixty five sixty nine thousand dollars sixty well that's appropriate um, so d down to seventeen and a half which was kind of like the last peak right in two thousand seventeen Mike wasn't it wasn't that where it, where it peaked and then it dropped back down to three or four thousand yes yeah, so I, I think it's building a foundation compared to that five thousand then which bottom at three thousand so it might get as low as twelve thousand I'm not disputing that because this is a bear market and there's a good reason for it but that's probably going to be a foundation for the next 10x rally because the key thing that's really notable this year is you look at open interest in listed futures clearly a bull market in Bitcoin you look at open interest in all the commodities most notably crude oil which is why I've been bearish clearly a bear market open interest so it's going instant it's taking time, and this is part of the growing pains. The question is, right now, we are in a massive bear market in all assets, except the one thing that are coming out of it and are showing signs of it is bonds and gold. Bitcoin is still a risk asset. I want to just point out that Maxine Waters has uh, finished, and now we're listening to Mr. McHenry um, give his opening statements before we get to, um, what's his name, John Ray? John J. Ray. John J. Ray III, uh, Sam Bankman-Fried. Would have been testifying here, but he was arrested last night. Katie, do night. we know what Mr. Sam Bankman-Fried would have he, Well, we got to? draft remarks, so maybe we would have seen some clauses fixed up and cleaned up. But we did uh, see the draft remarks. He started by saying... He messed up. He used okay. a different word. He starts um, off by dropping the F-bomb, which is classic. <laughs> <Yep>. Classic kid. <laughs> Mic drop know? from yep. the start. But uh, then it kind of goes a little bit off the rails. I mean, he was still taking shots at CZ, of course. That is the CEO of rival exchange Binance. He also talked about John J. Ray III, who is the new CEO of FTX, saying that he's reached out to Ray multiple times to offer to help to sift through the wreckage, the reporting, uh, the records. Apparently, Ray hasn't responded to five of Makevin Fried's wow. emails. So it's <laughs> <laughs> an interesting little bit of he said, he said. Uh, Ray, of course, is going to testify today. So that's the main event. So we'll see what he says. Well, and I mean, what we're really waiting for, this is all interesting uh, theater. And um, it'll be, I think, in some ways fun for those of us who are invested, um, not financially but if you're um, a financial journalist professionally but what really matters as nathan pointed out is getting some uh indication of what regulation we're going to see and nathan you also drew an interesting distinction i thought between you know the bitcoins and the doge coins of the world and the tethers and usdc's right the stable coins are where we are likely to get regulation first do we expect some real transparency there yeah, so, and don't be surprised if you see stablecoins come up quite a bit in this hearing today uh, because, you know, there is this bill out there that's being negotiated by Chairwoman uh, Maxine Waters, ranking Emmer McHenry, the Treasury Department, and this bill, I actually think, has a decent shot of passage early next year. Wait, was this bill 
uh, co-authored by Sam Bankman-Fried? It was <laughs> not. And so, but the House Financial Services Committee is using the FTX collapse as a way to propel its stablecoin bill. This bill actually started when the you know uh, when we had the stablecoin issues earlier this year. But this bill, at a high level, would allow both bank issuers and non-bank issuers to register with regulators. There's still some hiccups over the non-bank side, but it would also allow stablecoins to operate as long as they're backed up 100% by high-quality liquid assets. So don't be surprised if you see a lot of stablecoin language. It's honestly, they're just using this as a platform to push forward the momentum uh, on that. The, state, the, the, the FTX bill, the Digital Commodities Consumer Protection Act, you know, it, it's tainted. It's not going to go anywhere. You're not even going to be able to bring it back with the same name. Certain provisions are going to be in there, uh, you know, like solidifying Bitcoin and Ethereum as commodities, you know, giving the SEC control and potentially, you know, having a lot more custody uh, discussions. But I was talking to a brokerage earlier this week and the gentleman said, you know, I've been doing custody before computers were invented. So the ideas were actually are still there. It's just Congress needs to get through the system of trying to figure out, okay, how do we write the legislative language and get it to a point where both Republicans and Democrats can agree? We invented computers. Bloomberg invented computers. We did. Built them. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank. Because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common... It's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. When I saw this story today, I immediately sent it around to all of my family. It's it's oh, great. it's it's hugely hopeful. So, how far away do you think we are from an actual on the market um, uh, medicine to to help you know stop people dying from melanoma from cancer skin cancer? Sure. So I think we're a few years away, not five or ten years, a few years away. I mean, basically, what we have to do in 2023, based on this great data. And we know it's real because you know the p-value is very statistically significant. Is we're going to start a phase three in melanoma in 2023? I guess it's going to take 12 to 18 months to enroll, and then we need to wait 12 months to get 12 months of survival data, uh, and then file this to the regulators. So that's a couple of years away. 
Now that the data is out, we're going to, of course, discussing with the FDA and other regulatory agencies to see is there a way to even accelerate that. So this is to be discussed with the regulators. Uh, but that's for melanoma. The, the great thing about today is, of course, for all the families that have, you know, kind of a, a high risk of melanoma. But the great news for me today is I think this is kind of immunotherapy 2.0. Because what we saw with the checkpoint, you know, Ketidra and, 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 and all those medicines is a huge ability to impact your immune system, to kind of wake up your immune system to go eat your cancer. But what we've shown this morning for the first time in the history of medicine is our ability to design a product for one human being at a time where we code in our medicine the mutation of your specific cancer. And we've shown this morning, given the huge difference of recurrence and death versus Ketidra, the gold standard, we show that we can teach your T cells, which is part of your immune system, to recognize your cancer and then go eat it. And so I'm very excited about this. Plus, this is Moderna technology, you know, circa 2019. We made a lot of progress since then. So do I believe we can do better? I do. You know, it took us 45 days on average to get the drugs to patients from a biopsy. Right. I think we have a line of sight to 30 days that will save more lives and i want to keep pushing the team to even go faster so that we can help as many people as we can across many cancer types so stefan i mean this seems promising not just in fighting melanoma and fighting skin cancer but in fighting other cancers as well exactly so i think every solid tumor cancer is fair game now does he mean it's going to work everywhere we will have to do the clinical studies but the good news, given the safety profile of a product was very good, the safety profile of a combination, Moderna plus Merck Ketudra, look very similar to Ketudra alone. As you know, sometimes with combination, you see worse toxicity, and so they're not really viable uh, for patients. And so what's very exciting now is, given we have very strong data in a lot of people, our goal is to run several phase sprays at the same time, in melanoma, obviously, but we're working with colleagues at Merck to prioritize which other tumors do we start in. As you know, Ketidra is used in lung cancer, in breast cancer, in renal cancer, and many other cancers. And so we're going to try those first. I also want to explore what can we do to people that are metastasis in their cancer. I also want to explore, you know, personalized cancer vaccine of Moderna alone. You know, the great news is we have now $17 billion of cash. And so we want to invest that capital to make new medicine, and this is a great place to invest because there's a big medical need for cancer. Stefan, talk to us about the uh, maybe the size of this market. How do you think about the opportunity for this particular therapeutic? So I think it's very big. Just one uh, comparator is Ketudra cells, which is on a run rate of $16 billion per year, and analysts predict you know, up to $30 billion by 2028 when Ketudra expires. And so when you look at what Ketudra did, let's go back a bit in history. During its phase three, Ketudra showed a 40% reduction versus standard of care then uh, in terms of recurrence and death. On the same metrics, we showed this morning a 44% decrease versus Ketudra, the new gold standard. And so do I believe the opportunity of Moderna PCV down the road as we expand to more cancer types, as we expand to metastatic stage, as we expand to earlier cancer could be as big or even bigger than Ketidra? I do think so. So I think it's a very large opportunity. Stefan, how has the 
approval process evolved over the last several years since the pandemic? When you interact with the FDA and you've done it for obviously for, for many, many years, has it changed? Has it become perhaps easier, more streamlined? How are you finding it? So I think the FDA first has done an amazing job during the pandemic that we all benefited from. Uh, I think the FDA has a much better understanding of Moderna's mRNA platform. And I think the FDA now understands that this is a platform. In the early days, if you want, we had, of course, to prove to the regulator, which both of you and everybody uh, wishes that all regulators do to protect all of us, to get the clinical data to help us understand what is similar between each drug of Moderna. The great news about this product for cancer that we announced this morning is it's 100% the same chemical matter for making the mRNA, the Spikevax, the COVID-19 vaccine. It's the same lipid chemical, and it's the same manufacturing process. So think about the comfort in terms of safety of a product that this provides the regulator and us. Uh, so I think the, the FDA has really a much better understanding of mRNA as a technology than they did a few years ago because we were not able to provide them the data that we have since. Stefan, in terms of you know other cancer treatments, how do you think this will evolve over the next several years? I mean, obviously, the news you have today uh, with your drug as it relates to melanoma is a, is a big step forward. As you step back and think about cancer broadly defined, how do you think you and your colleagues in the in the biotech and pharmaceutical industries will be attacking cancer? Sure. I think we've made two significant scientific massive step forward in the last, let's say, five to 10 years. One is we now believe a scientific community that cancer is always a disease of mutation of your DNA. So that's an important thing because once you understand things in science, you are smarter at what tools you deploy to go after the problem. And so that's a big deal versus where we were 20 or 30 years ago when we kind of no, no idea what really was cancer. The second piece is we've also really understood the role of the immune system. Because what we know today is we all have cancers all the time. I've had cancer all the time in my life since I was on the planet you know, 50, for the last 50 years. But because my immune system was able, right from the time one cell in my body becomes cancerous by having mutation versus a healthy cell, that my immune system was able to identify it and take care of it really quickly. Well, when your immune system is not healthy because we age, because we have a lot of stress in our life, because we're not healthy in terms of physical health, mental health, sleep, and all those good stuff that is really important for, for immune, immune health. Well, you might have one cancer cell that appears in your body that your immune system misses. And that cancer cell becomes two and four and becomes a tumor. And so, what is very significant about those two scientific understanding is once you understand this, you can go after solutions. So if you think about immunotherapy 1.0, the checkpoints, the key to draw of this world, it was about how do you give a big kick in the immune system to kind of quote unquote, wake it up to say, hey, guy, you missed something. Go, go find the thing you missed. And we've seen amazing progress. As I said, the phase three in melanoma of, of Ketidra alone at the time was 40% reduction of recurrence and death. Mm. Amazing. Well, the piece we're adding today to the arsenal against cancer that we have, this ability to know for a fact that we can teach your T cell, my T cells, to recognize mutation that it has missed. So that's that's huge. huge. And then I think the entire field is trying to play around those different dimensions to think about what are the things we can combine to get your body the tools it needs 
to go and eat your cancer because that's really the best thing, especially for people that are in metastatic stage where you have tumors around your bodies because you, 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 your cancer is spreading. This ability to teach your immune system how to go clean it up is what I think is really the future of cancer. Let me ask you, uh, switch directions a little and ask you a little bit about COVID because I know that you are in discussions to provide the Chinese with your vaccine. Um, what does it look like on the ground there? As they start to open up, is it going to spread rapidly? So as you see, and it's reported in the media, uh, it is spreading rapidly, which was expected by every scientist I talked to internally at Moderna or externally. Because as we know, the current vaccine that we're using in China didn't have a great efficacy. A lot of people did not take them. And unlike in the US or in Europe, or I would say most of the rest of the world, where a lot of people vaccinated or unvaccinated got infected. And when you get infected, it only acts you know, like a booster because you show your immune system how to, 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 to deal with the, the virus. And so I think the challenge that is for the Chinese people, but also the world because of our economy is being so intertwined with each other, is that you're gonna see a very fast spread of cases Unfortunately, you know, I think people at high risk are, are going to, you know, be very sick. Some of them hospitalized, some of them dying. Uh, so I, I'm kind of worried about where this is going. This was talked about again for a long time. Uh, the immunological background of China because of uh, not great vaccines in the past and uh, not uh, infection uh, is going to be is going to be complicated. What about uh, delivering vaccines to the you know massive population um have you got the capacity to do that quickly will you have partners in providing them vaccines how quickly will you be able to get the vaccines to them what's the, what's the what's it look like so the tempo will really be dictated by the chinese authorities because like in every country in the world uh, we need regulatory approval to have a right to uh, import a product uh, and then we of course work with authorities for deployment so the tempo is really set up by the Chinese authorities and, and discussions are ongoing. In terms of manufacturing, the good news is that if you think about it, we have shipped most of our demand for the winter in the West already. You know, we've shipped most of the vaccine into the US, into Europe, into Japan, and so on. So you have the entire manufacturing engine of Moderna, both in the US and in Switzerland, that can be deployed for China. So we are literally talking you know, many hundreds of millions of doses could be made available quickly. But, Either Chinese governments uh, wanted so. But will you produce uh, vaccines for China here or in Switzerland, or, or will the Chinese government request that you produce them locally? So if a request is to be made locally for this season, it's impossible to set up, you know, uh, clean rooms and transfer the technology and so on in a matter of a, a couple of months. And we need to move very quickly. It's the winter in China. Like it's, it's the Northern Hemisphere. Chinese New Year is coming very soon, as you know, where a lot of families migrate and move and spend time together, like our Thanksgiving or our Christmas. And so I think the timelines of local manufacturing is just not physically possible. For this season, it will have to be out of the US or Switzerland. We will be very happy to discuss about setting up manufacturing facility for next year in China and to bring the technology to China. But it's just not possible this year. So Stefan, what have your discussions been with China over the last several years? Is, has it been one of uh, they did not want to import uh, an international solution such as Moderna's, or did they feel like their vaccine was good enough? And maybe how have those discussions changed? 
So we have a discussion with China since the pandemic started. As you know, nothing has happened so far with our vaccine or, 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 or the over mRNA vaccine. Uh, I cannot comment on discussions with sovereign, as we never do it with any sovereign government, as you can understand. Uh, we are actively engaged with them to figure out can we be helpful to the situation developing under our eyes right now. How do you expect this to, from a timing perspective, because as you mentioned just recently, I mean, we are in December. I mean, and this is kind of, we're right into the the cold and flu and now uh, COVID season, COVID season. I guess we can put that in, included as well. So it's almost like this year, it may be too late. Uh, are, are you more, is the planning more about next year? So I think uh, it's not going to be too late in the sense that uh, because so many people have not been infected uh, I think every day matter, every week matter. So I think saying let's throw a towel on China now and wait for the fall of 23 is a public health mistake, which I hope will not happen uh, for the sake of the Chinese people and the sake of the world. Um, what we definitely need to do is also prepare for next year. But the first thing first is really this season, um, because as we've seen in the West, you see massive flu and still increasing, yep. massive RSV, strep, COVID. So as many scientists in the public health world and in companies like ours have been saying for quite a while, this winter was going to be tough. And, you know, it's only early December. We already see, you know, numbers increasing after Thanksgiving. Christmas is around the corner and then New Year holiday and parties and so on. Uh, I think that we're going to have a very complicated January and February in the West, like we're going to have in China. Still too many people have not got their Omicron specific booster. It's really sad because there's plenty of vaccines in US and Europe available in pharmacies. Most people are not getting them, and, and a lot of people are going to get hurt because of it. All right. Stefan Bansell, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate getting your time. Stefan Bansell, Chief Executive Officer from Moderna, with some really positive news coming out on melanoma and other cancer treatments. We appreciate your time. Thank you. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY.
Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. All right, let's bring in Annie Massa. She covers all this stuff for Bloomberg News. And Barry Ritholtz is in studio as well, uh, chairman of Ritholtz Wealth Management. And he's got some podcast thing that he does all the time. Which we got is lucky. Like huge masters in business. Annie, what do you th- what is the current sense of what's happening at FTX? Sam Bankman-Fried, a lot of news in the last 24 hours. So what's happened today is we've finally had regulators come in and bring charges uh, against um, SBF. And we've got now from the SEC and CFTC more detailed information, some of which was bubbling up and coming to light. But we really have the SEC's account of what was happening at FTX, as well as the DOJ's charges that have been brought against um, SBF. And uh, some of the details in there are, are pretty striking. You see the commingling of funds between FTX and Alameda. Yep. Basically, from the outset, FTX um, was allowing Alameda to siphon its customers' funds away to make risky bets and fuel political spending, personal, lavish real estate spending on SBF's account. And really, that customer money was just going straight into Alameda's hands. So, Barry, when you see this, uh, you know, an- I don't know. To me, I just felt like I was witness. We are witnessing a new asset class being born, and I don't know what today's action means. The arrest of Sam Bankman-Fried, the you know the indictments, the testimony in front of Congress. How do you put that in context for what appears to be an asset class trying to be created, evolve? Yeah, it, it, it to me this is very reminiscent of. The MF Global debacle. Okay. If you remember, about a decade ago, they made a lot of risky bets, and when the margin calls came due, they said, "Hey, clients have all this cash sitting in their accounts. Let, let's use some of that." Which, in case you're living under a rock, is very much not allowed by anybody anywhere, regardless. And so, if you let something like that happen, you go to jail for life, right? What happened well, to John Corzine? Well, with MF Global, it didn't appear that anybody ended up going to jail. Some people got banned, and I believe the vast majority of those borrowed assets were recovered. Um, here, uh, it seems like the same sort of, there's some money sitting in clients' accounts, and even though we were never given permission to borrow this, there's no margin, there's no rational basis for touching this cash, we're going to take it because we need it. Uh, the question here is how much of that will be recovered? And, and you know, the early outlines appear that it's, you know, uh, tens of billions of dollars that are missing. And how much of that mm. is ever going to be retraced is, is really the big question. Uh, it, it's the the most fascinating thing about this is why when you look at FTX in the Bahamas, really not a U.S. jurisdiction and and not the normal sort of thing that the SEC or the Justice Department investigates. The vast majority of their assets were not American; it was uh, uh, other yeah. countries. Annie, do we have any sense of what's next for Sam Bankman-Fried? I saw some footage just from some sources of him, you know, in the in I guess custody of the Bahamian authorities. Do we know what's next? 
So Sam was arrested last night in the Bahamas, and the the next step would be uh, extradition to the U.S., okay. uh, it seems, uh, given the criminal charges against him. And, uh, you know, we'll see where we go from there. What, what is, the timing, is the timing strike you as odd? I talked to Barry already, and he said no. But does <laughs> the, the timing does the of the time, charges? Yeah, because he gets – like, we were waiting for him to get arrested for weeks. He wasn't. He was going out, doing tons of media interviews and having – text chats with his friends at Vox and stuff. But then all of a sudden, or Vice, either Vox or Vice, I can't remember. All Vox. of a sudden, um, you know, hours before he's going to testify in front of Congress, he's arrested, effectively muzzled. Um, does that not strike you as at least curious timing? The timing is interesting. I don't have any authoritative info on why exactly that happened. Of course, people have wondered w why, but he certainly is out there on the record long before being muzzled with plenty of right. uh, incriminating <laughs> material. All right, Annie Massa, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate that, Annie Massa, Bloomberg News. Barry Ritholtz, Masters in Business Podcasts and Ritholtz Wealth Management, both joining us here roundtabling it quickly on uh, this crypto stuff. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Matt Miller. I'm on Twitter at MattMiller1973. And I'm Paul Sweeney. I'm on Twitter at P.T. Sweeney. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide at Bloomberg Radio. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com enterprise data to learn more.